Welcome. This is Lives of Adventure, and I'm your host, Jeff Gardner. In this podcast, we do our best to bring you the stories of people who choose to live lives that are a little less common. We interview sailors, climbers, musicians, entrepreneurs, and really anybody who's looking to squeeze every last moment from their time on this planet and to do it in their own way. This evening's guest actually ticks several of the above boxes. Elena Arenz is a professional climbing guide and is the owner or co-owner of several businesses, including New River Mountain Guides and Chicks with Picks. She spent most of her adult life living on the road, climbing nearly every day, and has been responsible for numerous first ascents all over the world, including being an early pioneer at El Potrero Chico in Mexico. It was great to catch up with Elena again. It's been a few years since we've spoken, and we really got a chance to dig into all sorts of stuff, from getting to reinvent herself every few years as a kid, the first outdoor climbing she ever did, her eventful and course-altering road trip from Alaska to Mexico, and her more recent escapades as a guide, you know, being a conduit to really bring many, many more people into the sport of climbing. I was really struck during this episode by the open-minded, gracious, and optimistically positive way in which Elena has meandered and yet somehow always managed to land very squarely on her feet. So instead of wasting any more of my breath and your time, please enjoy my conversation with Elena Arenz. Elena, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, cool. So I guess uh, we've been chatting a little bit before we started recording here, and uh, we we touched on a few topics. And I guess we'll jump back to your um, your childhood. But there was one topic that I think kind of lands close to home for both of us, and that's uh, climbing areas and kind of the popularity of climbing and the way uh, the way people in general, maybe certainly in America, get into climbing and then uh, kind of move from the gym to being outside and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're now a climbing guide. You teach people to climb, uh, and you know you're sort of complicit in the whole situation in one sense or another. How do you think about that? Like, how do you think about that journey from you know as a new climber? Like, you know, we want people to get into the sport. We want people to experience it. But uh, how do you balance that with these wild places that we love so much? Um, it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, you know, the thing that drew me into climbing was, you know, getting out into the outdoors and having a wilderness experience with close friends. Um, and now you go out there and you're having that same experience with, you know, tons and tons of strangers, whether you want to be a part of their experience or not, they're going to, they're going to draw you in (laughs) and, uh, working as a full-time guide, I'm definitely complicit. As you said, uh, I feel a little bit guilty, um, you know, capitalizing it in one, one sense, but, um, you know, it's becoming a climbing guy is something that just happened to me. It's not something that I, I sought out. I just found myself on this path and here I am now. So Wait a second. We have to explore that a little bit. How do you, because becoming a guide is not like an easy task. It's not like something you like do over a weekend. It, you know, it takes <laughs> months or years in most cases to get there. Like, how did you fall into it? Um, well, it started out very organically. Just uh, when I first started climbing in Austin, Texas, I got a job at a climbing gym. Um, I am one of those people who, for the first time I ever climbed, was indoors on plastic. I went outside with uh, my friend who taught me how to climb the following weekend, and 
I just fell in love with it. And um, he's like, well, if you want to climb more and get better, I can get you a job at the gym. So I started teaching there and, um, you know, teaching friends to climb as well and doing some guiding through local guide services in Austin and then down in Petrera Chico, Mexico. And Which we're definitely going to talk a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, oh my goodness, where to, where to begin? So much has happened. This is a lifetime ago. But I ended up in at the New River Gorge in West Virginia where I met you and uh, bought a guide service there. And I figured since I was the boss lady, I better have a piece of paper to back it up. <laughs> so I started down <laughs> the AMGA, uh, you know, climbing instructor courses and now I'm a certified rock guide and assistant alpine guide working on my ice instructor nice. and uh, yeah, see how far I can go with it. So it was definitely a... Um it was something that sort of just built up over the years and it wasn't, uh, you know, you kind of pieced it together as, as necessary or as needed to kind of get you to the next thing that you wanted to do more or less. More or less. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just love climbing and I wanted to, to do it all the time and, um, it seemed like a good way to get paid to go climbing. Yeah. That's one way to, but, that's one um, way to do it all the time. But the flip side to that is you really are a paid belayer most of the time. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> Very true. I remember at one point I was thinking of doing, you know, thinking of the guide route and going, mm, could I actually do that? Or is it, would it just ruin it for me? And, you know, would it take something I love and just make it work? It, it definitely has become a full-time job for me. And then, you know, finding that balance between work and play is, and my own personal motivations for my personal climbing can be, can be tricky sometimes. Yeah, I imagine. Okay, so let's uh, jump backwards quite a few years, and you touched on a few points here, but um, you grew up, you were born in Virginia, uh, mm -hmm. Virginia respect. Uh, I was That's also right. born in Virginia, so, uh, but you're a self-described army brat, so I guess what does that, what does that mean to you? What is, you know, tell me a little bit about your very early, very early years. Sure. Um, well, my dad, uh, he served in Vietnam, he's a helicopter pilot, and uh, then he transferred into the Corps of Engineer. And, um, you know, that life in the Army, um, as many of your listeners may know, you move every three years, sometimes more frequently. And so you're uprooted and moved around from place to place. And you, you, know, you always get the chance to start fresh no matter where you go. And, um, yeah, so my whole entire life I've just been, you know, picking up and moving on to the next thing. And after you've been raised to do that, you definitely get a little antsy every three years. It becomes part of your your DNA in a in a way. You mentioned you get to start fresh every, you know, couple of years. Like is that you know, I think my immediate thought there would have jumped to you get uprooted and you like lose all of these things. Uh it seems like you kind of take the the more optimistic side of that viewpoint which is like <laughs> hey look a fresh start you know i get to yeah. i get to kind of reinvent or do you know like i get a reset button every couple of years which is you know mm -hmm. i guess that's a just a subtle mindset shift but an important one huh yeah definitely i mean you are you know resetting and you know discovering new new places and new parts of yourself and um you know, especially, you know, in those like teenage years, you just want to fit in with everybody else. And so, um, you know, you, you try to be adaptable so you can kind of blend in and not stand out too much. At least that's, that's what I did. That may not be everybody's take, but it definitely gave me the opportunity to, 
you know, all the travel and meet new people, but also to kind of, you know, retool like, you know, central Pennsylvania, my acid wash jeans and my, you know, permed hair were super cool. But then nice. I moved to preppy suburban DC, Alexandria, Virginia, and it was not very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why not. Acid wash jeans. I know. They are yeah, coming back though. In, <laughs> they are back in style, but I had to trade it all in for, you know, the limited and Forenza and the gap and... <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, cool. So, you know, I think there's, uh, like you said there, you do, it sort of builds into your personality that you kind of get antsy and you need to move around and things. It, you know, that, that makes me think of my mom who was uh, not uh, army, but my grandfather is a minister. And so he'd get moved around, mm -hmm. uh, maybe not quite as frequently, but pretty often. And mm -hmm. I remember as a kid coming home and like all the furniture in the house had been rearranged while we were at school. And it was just <laughs> my mom's like way of dealing with this feeling of being trapped <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love rearranging furniture. There Fun you go. <laughs> there you go. Like, <laughs> exactly. There are, there are like common things here. <laughs> Absolutely. Like cleaning up the clutter, you know, not holding on to, you know, things forever, just letting it go and moving on to the next thing. Yeah. So like in those early years, was there like a sign of the things to come? Like, were you a kid that was always out climbing trees and coming home with scraped knees and, you know, getting <laughs> into trouble? Or was it, uh, you know, did you not find that really until you went away to university? Um, looking back, I definitely, I had childhood memories of climbing trees and, you know, I had three brothers, first of all, so I didn't want to have anything to do with dolls and dresses and I just wanted to run around and keep up with them and so I was definitely a tomboy growing up and I think um you know never really into the traditional like you know quote-unquote girl sports you know like dancing yeah. and all that sort of stuff I couldn't I'm not coordinated like that but get me on the rock and I'm okay you're pretty coordinated <laughs> on the rock <laughs> that is true <laughs> Cool. So, and, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier, you went to university in Texas um, mm -hmm. and that's where you, you know, climbed the very first time at the gym and then you were out, you know, the very next weekend climbing outdoors. And I think I read somewhere that your very first day out, you led a 5.9 route, which I, I did. Yeah. Like that's not, uh, I mean, 5.9 is not like extreme by any standard, but like for a brand new climber, 5.9 is very hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking back, you know, being a, you know teaching people to climb for a living, I look back at that progression, and that was not how not I would normal. have done it. Well, not normal. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's maybe more of a sign of you rather than uh, the progression <laughs> itself. Well, it might be a sign of my friend Seiji, who is the one. He was the instigator. He, his uh, survival mechanism is <laughs> not this. A little bit lower than the rest of everybody else's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I top roped it. It was called uh, Meet the Flintstones, which, mm -hmm. as a side note, the cliff has since fallen down and it's no off limits way. to climbing. Yeah, it's a total choss pile. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Choss for your listeners means a bunch of junk that's just it's like a road cut ready to fall down. Yeah. And it did. And it did. Um, and I top roped it and he's like, well, do you want to learn how to lead? And I was like, well, what's leading? And he's like, well, that's where you tie into one end of the rope and you, you know, climb up the, the rock and you clip it into the bolts. And, you know, when you get to the top, I'll just lower you back down. <laughs> yeah. Makes it sound simple, right? <laughs> yeah. So simple. And I was like, well, what happens if I fall? He's like, well, if you're high up off the ground, then you won't hit it. <laughs> 
I suppose that's a um, maybe simplified but correct description. Like he wasn't lying by any stretch. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he talked me into it or I convinced myself I could do it. One of the two. Yeah. Can't remember anymore. But uh, I lived and here I am. That's amazing. That's amazing. Did you do you remember being afraid while climbing, you know, while leading that first time? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you were a bit gripped. It wasn't like you just kind of floated up it and were like, "Oh, that's no big deal." Oh no, I was okay. I was scared. Yeah, I held on for dear life. <laughs> that makes me feel a little better, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Very fun. So um, you were, um, you know, you were climbing, and like you said, you got a job in the gym, and it, it really started to consume you at that stage. Um, and you know, I don't know. I guess you can fill in all the blanks here, but. Um, you flew to Alaska and drove mm-hmm. to Mexico from Alaska. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Tell us a little I bit was... about how that trip happened and kind of, uh, I guess maybe some of the highlights there. Man, there's so many highlights. That was a really like transformative trip for me. It was after I graduated and I was waiting tables in Austin, Texas and saving money to go on a road trip. And I had a uh, friend who was living in Anchorage. And she's like, oh, I'm going to buy a van and drive it down to Potrero Chico, Mexico. You should come with me. I'm like, but I only live five hours from Potrero. Why would I, you know, fly to Alaska just to drive five hours from my house? And she, so sounded like a fun adventure. I'd never yeah. been to Alaska. I really wanted to go. So I bought a ticket and I flew up there in December and spent perfect the time New to Year's. be in Alaska. Exactly. Um, so hung out at her, her place for a week while, you know, we finished building out the van and then we drove the van all the way down the Petrero and it took us uh, two weeks. And the first seven days crossing Alaska was, I've never been so cold in my life. Yeah. I imagine negative. the driving actually was actually, was exciting as well. Like it was, yeah, it was, it was super exciting. We, so we drove the Alcan um, highway, which, you know, ends up, you end up crossing the border back in Montana. And it took us seven days to go from Anchorage to the Montana border. And we probably did like 30 miles an hour per day. You, um, you can never turn the vehicle off because it was so cold. It would not start back up again. Oh my god! You fuel the vehicle up while the engine's running. Um, you have a block heater, you know, if you're stopped for any period of time to keep the engine block warm. And, uh, I remember at one point we were, we were passing through an area called Destruction Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, the name kind of says it all. So I was driving and I didn't have a ton of experience driving in s- snow conditions like that. Right. And, um, I, the front wheel, the front tire caught the soft shoulder and carried us into an embankment. Oh my God. <laughs> And so we had a, a shovel and um, a couple shovels and we're sitting there shoveling through. And meanwhile, you know, there's no cars. There's no traffic on right. this road. And uh, my friend Lisa and I were shoveling out, you know, all the tires and, you know, trying to, you know, dig our way out of this hole. And uh, this Cutlass Sierra type car pulls up and this little old man gets out and he's like, you guys got a man with you? and we're like no he's like what do you mean you don't have a man with you what are you doing out here without a man (laughs) 
We're like, well, you're as a man. I'm, can you, as if a man can is like you a, help us? Yeah, a key piece of wilderness survival equipment. Uh, do you, you have your man me? in your backpack? Mm, nope. Okay, well, you're going to be in trouble then. Uh, That's we're a like, well, you're story. a man. Can you, can you help us? He, he just sat there with his arms crossed and watched us shovel out this like Ford Econoline E350. <laughs> Amazing. He didn't do anything in the end. Didn't help. No, nope. Eventually another uh, a truck came that had a winch and was able, we had the you know, the van unburied enough at that point that the winch, right. he could winch us out. So That's amazing. The guy just stopped <laughs> and watched. <laughs> yeah, it's classic. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I you know, you said that, that that trip was formative. Like, had you been to Puerto Chico before, or was that your very first time there? Or? Um, let me see about that. Because I that was very. I mean, before. how how long had Petrero been a known about climbing area at that stage, or was it even very known about? Yeah, so Petrero was like early '90s when it was, you know, kind of first being developed by the Central Texas climbers. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexican climbers have been climbing there much longer, but the Texas climbers started going down in the early nineties. Um, yeah, so it was, it was brand new. I've been down there once before. And, uh, after I graduated, I was like, I'm going to go and spend more time down there before I go look for my advertising job in New York city or wherever. Right. right. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people that end up on this path by saying something you know, benign like that, and then ending up, you know, 20, 30 years later in the same place. So they're, they're like, well, well, yeah, yeah, that was pretty enjoyable. I guess I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, still doing it. <laughs> That's still great. Tripping. So, uh, Potrero is a, um, it's an impressive place. It's, uh, you know, huge limestone, uh, walls, spires, uh, all the rest. Again, though, it's not the most solid rock in the world. Is that a fair mm-hmm. assumption or a fair assessment of the situation there? Yeah, it's very alpine. Yeah, so I think like development at Portero Chico uh, certainly must have been adventurous and and exciting in the scary sense uh, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah, there's always big blocks falling out of nowhere, out of the sky for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Other than the reason that mountains fall down. <laughs> Mountains fall down. Yep. They're exfoliating all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in that development, you know, period when you were spending a lot of time down there, was that, you know, was that a concern? Was that something you, like, how did you deal with that sort of objective danger of every time I go out climbing, a big block could fall on my head? I started wearing a helmet and, um, which I'd never really done before, but a helmet's not going to do you much good if a big block is, you know, <laughs> coming down from right. above. You know, it doesn't take it'll much. It'll help for the pebbles. Other, it'll help for the pebbles. But yeah, even then, you know, the a rock the size of a walnut can definitely do some major damage if it's, you know, moving, traveling at terminal velocity. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what was your, I guess, you know, I, I guess I ask because uh, climbers think about objective danger in a bunch of different ways. And, there, you know, there's... Uh, so maybe that's actually a good spot to stop and define that. Um, you know, objective danger in my mind is like the stuff you can't control. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, Seracs falling off of glaciers or big avalanches. Um, you know, you can't necessarily control, um, you know, you can control when you're in an area, you know, time mm-hmm. of day and day of week and all that, but you mm-hmm. can't necessarily control when those types of things are going to just let loose. Uh, certainly in the mm-hmm. case of Seracs or Rockfall, um, it, it's mm-hmm. sort of, the hand of the gods uh, will slice something off every now and then. How do you mm-hmm. think about, um, you know, objective danger and kind of mitigating objective danger when you're climbing and certainly like in alpine environments? 
Well, to me, you know, it's true that all, you know, acts of God, you know, I mean, those are objective dangers that just can't be avoided sometimes. Um, to me, the greatest risk in climbing, the greatest objective danger are all the other people around me and what they're doing and the, their actions. Um, Cause I've, a lot of people are self-trained and um, they may not be getting the best education as far as, you know, different systems and skills and knowing how to read the rock and when not to touch a loose block and things like that. It's, it's always somebody else out there that I'm most afraid of. I'm in the exact same boat. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's literally the scariest thing for me is showing up at a cliff and, or especially a longer alpine route and finding people on it above me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so if somebody is uh, brand new to climbing, say uh, they've, you know, climbed in the gym some, they've gotten, you know, they've gotten fairly competent. They're pretty strong. They can, you know, climb quite a range of different, you know, uh, routes and, and types of climbing and they're starting to get into multi-pitch and that sort of thing. How would you suggest, uh, you know, what do you think the best ways to learn that type of systems and, you know, just general knowledge of you know being able to read rock and that sort of thing well my answer is going to be a little biased here hire a guide hire a guide <laughs> hire a guide or you know if you don't have the means or the funds to do that then um, find a mentor somebody who has lots of experience doing it um, who can take you under their wing and kind of show you the ways yeah um, i mean do you think that it's a thing you can learn out of books or do you think it really need it's one of those situations where you know, you have to be an apprentice in a sense. I think with climbing, I mean, it's so, it's so situational. There's so many different um, scenarios and the subtleties of all the different um, things that can happen and the way that you, the equipment that you have, the way that you incorporate it and apply it in a given situation is so variable that um, it's impossible to get that kind of knowledge from a book. So it really you know, theoretically, it can help people understand like the major concepts, but there's so much nuance that you can only get the experience by doing it hands on. Cool. Um, yeah, like much of life. Isn't it true? There's a lot of nuance <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. So uh, let's talk about another part of life. Um, you, uh, when I met you, you were married to uh, Kurt Smith. And mm -hmm. I think you met Kurt probably around the time you were developing at Petrero Chico, yeah? I did. On that road trip that I ended up from Alaska to Mexico, I met up with him there. That was a uh, an important road trip, obviously. It was. It was pivotal. It changed the my whole entire course because I obviously did not go back to the States and get my advertising job. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kurt and I, we started climbing together down there. And, uh, you know, came back to the States and he was, you know, was a pro climber at the time. And so, um, we did, we traveled the States and we divide our time between, um, the U S in the summer and Mexico in the winter. So and, you guys uh, were full on road trip dirt bags at that point for yeah, a good couple of years. We lived in a van down by the river. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lots of years. You guys, by the time I met you, your van had graduated to being uh, one of the most palatial, uh, well-set-up, well-kitted-out <laughs> vans I've ever seen in my life. I remember being very impressed with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's, I mean, Sprinter vans are a dime a dozen. You I know. know every, everybody and their, and their brother has one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 
the American way. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> bigger, 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 and better. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess that period of your life, uh, you were, um, you know, a professional climber as well. You guys were, were traveling, climbing a ton. Um, you were both doing, you know, a, important ascents kind of wherever you went. You were developing a lot in Petraro Chico. You know, what was it about that lifestyle that, uh, that you really loved and were there parts of that lifestyle that you didn't love so much or that, you know, really wore down on you after a good couple of years? Well, the parts that I loved, you know, it goes back to, you know, moving a lot around a lot and traveling, um, you know, growing up, you know, my, with my dad in the army, being an army brat, I just love uh, seeing new places and experiencing new cultures and meeting new people. And um, climbing really provided a, a great vehicle to do that because um, you get to go to all these random places you would never go to otherwise. And you get to interact with people in that location in a way that you is way, way more intimate than you know, being a tourist somewhere. Right. Um, so that's what really attracted me uh, to life on the road. And, you know, we had a, a nice comfortable van to, to do it in there. The vans that got bigger and bigger every year until we maxed out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in the end, you know, it, it does get exhausting, you know, not knowing, um, just like little things like, uh, having to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you know, where are you going to park the van for the, for the night? Is it going to be safe there? Mm -hmm. You know, all the hours behind the windshield, you know, driving that van from place to place. So, you know, it's definitely romantic and it's a very simple life in the, in the grand scheme of things. But, um, I think we were yearning for something more grounded and, uh, ended up at the new, you know, we, had passed through there many, many years and made great friends in the community there and just fell in love with the climbing and the people. The people, more than anything, make make that place so special. Yeah. And um, it's affordable because it's Appalachia. It's very affordable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, which has its, uh, uh, which I guess is a code word for like, it's got its trade-offs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the community there is great and the climbing is, is phenomenal. Yeah, the climbing is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I mean, you don't realize until many years later, probably at least for me growing up nearby, like you don't realize until many years later that uh, what you have in your backyard and like how, how special mm -hmm. that stuff is. Um, absolutely. You know, that sandstone on the East Coast is pretty incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> I miss it. I miss yeah. it. I've got granite outside, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't have any sandstone mm -hmm. close by, which is which makes me a bit oh, sad. Yeah, gonna have to travel to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to do it. Um, cool. So I guess you know from that period of kind of being on the road, you then settled in the new. And did you have a hard time kind of transitioning to we've got a house now, we live in this one place, or were you still traveling quite a lot? Um, no, we, we stopped traveling and, uh, definitely settled in there to West Virginia and, uh, yeah, it was an adjustment for sure. You know, just having a stationary place, we definitely went into nesting mode and, you know, home improvement projects and all that sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was very comfortable. You know, the new is a great place to, to, to nest. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah. poor, horrible weather in the winter. So you're kind of stuck inside, like hiding from the rain and the mess. But, uh, yeah. Cool. So, um, kind of fast forward a ways and, um, 
you're back out west. How did that happen? How did you get from the new? When did you leave the new? Why did you leave the new? Um, well, I've been based in Las Vegas now for four years. Um, and yeah, back up a little bit, I started pursuing more um, guide training. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kurt and I, we spend more winters in Joshua Tree and um, where I did my guide course and exam out there. And then um, just take it to the next level. The next, you know, round of courses and exams was in Red Rock. And um, during that time, um, we separated and divorced. And so I was like, well, I got no reason to stay at, you know, home here in West Virginia. So I'm going to go out there to Vegas and really focus on my guiding career and uh, get the certification and, um, so that's what, that's what spurred the move out to Vegas. And so I started, you know, just spending like part of the year, just a couple of months in Vegas. And then over, you know, each successive year, just a little bit more. So now I'm in Vegas more than I'm in at the new now. Mental. And, uh, you know, for people that don't know, uh, Red Rocks and don't know kind of that area, the idea of a dirtbag, you know, road tripping climber living in Las Vegas is maybe a bit strange. Can you explain a little bit about Red Rocks and, and kind of why it's so special? Yeah. So Red Rock, a lot of people don't even know it exists. Um, you think of Las Vegas and everybody thinks of the casinos and the strips and, um, strips, the singular strip. Yeah. Yeah. And the strippers (laughs) and the strippers, (laughs) all that excessive stuff. So, um, just 30, you know, minutes west of downtown in the strip um, is this world-class climbing destination called Red Rock National Conservation Area. And uh, they're literally, you know, thousand foot walls um, shooting out of the desert floor, very much like the Petrero um, in topography where you just have this like flat um, valley and all of a sudden these huge mountains rise up out of nowhere. And, um, so there's all these wonderful peaks and canyons, you know, between the peaks and, uh, rock is sandstone that's like striped and speckled and polka dotted and in shades of red and black and brown and white and gray. And they're just these really impressive, like spire type summits that offer endless amount of adventures. Psychedelic (laughs) in one sense. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, yeah, it's a it's a special area. I was saying before we started recording, you know, I haven't um, I haven't actually climbed in Red Rocks, but on one of my two trips ever in my life through Vegas, we drove out to you know to kind of see Red Rocks and get a little bit close to it. You know, we were there for two days, but um, we got ourselves there and had a look around. So awesome! Yeah, it's impressive. You know, it's a it's a memory that you'll never forget. You know, it's just such impressive piece of landscape. Mm, Very much so. Cool. So uh, I've got a note here in my uh, questions that just says chicks with picks. Uh, So I guess I'll let you explain what chicks with picks is and, and maybe like how it came to be and um, you know, what the, what the motivation there is. So chicks with picks um, is a women's climbing organization, a company that I, uh, bought into almost three years ago now um, with five or four other partners. So there's five of us who owned it. Um, it was started in 2000 by a woman named Kim Reynolds. 
and she was an ice climber. And back in, in the early 2000s, there weren't a lot of, you know, women ice climbers. And so she saw this void and an opportunity to help encourage women um, to get out there and try it out. And so she started Chicks with Picks. Um, eight years after owning it, just exclusively doing ice programs, she started doing rock programs. And that's when I became involved with Chicks. And um, I brought the event to the New River Gorge for several years. And then um, after I started spending my more time in Vegas, um, I started dating a guy who was in the ice climbing. And we went up to Uray, Colorado, mm -hmm. and um, Chicks was having a, a big um, fundraiser event. And um, they were auctioning off a day of mixed climbing with Don Glantz, and who's just this amazing mixed climber an ice climber and so uh my boyfriend bought it for me <laughs> amazing and which was really cool and so um and dom was like oh she's like well it's you well i'll you know we'll just go we'll go climb <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome like, okay <laughs> so dawn kind of took me under her wing um and uh showed me the ways of mixed climbing i really fell in love with it so i went back again the next winter and when i went back kim woman who started Chicks was uh, seriously wanting to sell the business. And so Dawn and um, three other women, Kitty Calhoun, Angela Haas, Karen Bockel, um, and myself, all longtime guides for Chicks, pooled our resources and bought the company. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, some kind of heavy hitters in there as well, like Kitty Calhoun, yeah. uh, a lot of 8,000 meter I peaks. Know. and Yeah. 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 She's no slouch. Yeah. She's well, none of you guys are, I don't think. So <laughs> it's a pretty impressive group. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, again, it was the opportunity to work with these amazing women that I've always admired and looked up to. Um, and that's, you know, Chick's mission. What we do is empower women through mountain sports. Um, through education and fostering environmental stewardship and creating community. Um, but our goal really is to help women become more confident and independent uh, climbers in, in the outdoors. Cool. And um, yeah. So it's uh, kind of climbing and ice climbing and those sorts of things as vehicle for, uh, you know, independence and, um, and I guess just enjoyment of the environment without having to have a man in your backpack. Exactly. Right. Don't have a man with them. Can right. You believe it. <laughs> it's terrifying out there. You never know. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> amazing. That's a really cool yeah. program. I guess, you know, it's, uh, I was kind of poking around on the internet and it looks like you guys put on events that are incredibly well regarded and are really fun in a very different way than maybe a lot of climbing events are, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure you know, climbing is a very male dominated sport or male. Uh, biased sport in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and um, thankfully that's changed a ton um, even oh, in the last yeah. 10 years or so but um, it is one of those things that changes the dynamic of a group if, if it's too too heavy in one direction or the other so yeah absolutely yeah it's changed a lot I remember when I first started climbing I could count all the female climbers I knew in like one hand you know yeah and uh, now I just went to um, that Flash Foxy Women's Climbing Festival in Bishop last month. And it was insane the amount of women um, that turned out for that. And uh, it was really cool, really cool to see the, the numbers shift in the other direction. Because, yeah, it is generally a boys club. 
it's a boys club, but I've always thought like the women are just straight up better at it for the most part, you know, like, I mean, maybe not in like raw power or raw numbers, but, uh, you know, the number of friends, you know, female friends that, you know, I've taken climbing and their very first day out like you are just sort of naturals at moving on, you know, moving in vertical spaces. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's impressive. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's definitely leveled out some. Yeah. That's for sure. Good things. Cool. So, uh, there is another note that I have here, um, that is just written warrior's way trainer. Um, and the rock warrior's way is something that I've kind of been watching and I've never done one of them, one of the training sessions, but it's, uh, you know, the image that stands out in my mind is the cover of Arno Ilger's book. Um, and it's him hanging mm-hmm. off the side of white sides, which is a, probably the most terrifying face on, mm-hmm. uh, the East coast, at least in my mind. So mm-hmm. I guess, how did you, um, how did you become involved in that? And can you tell us a little bit about like what the, the warrior's way, the rock warrior's way is about? Sure. Um, I'll start by telling what the warrior's way is. Cause many of your listeners probably don't know. Um, it's basically a mental, uh, training for climbing and it helps, uh, climbers or people in general focus their attention more effectively in the moment so they can minimize fear and improve their commitment while climbing. And um, it was developed by Arno Ilgner, um, who um, is a Tennessee climber, a very bold uh, climber. As you mentioned, on white sides, he has many first ascents there. And uh, that area is particularly known for for being terrifying because yeah. there's very few pieces of fixed protection um, or even protection that you can place and then later remove. Um, and so it takes a, it's a huge mental mental game and so he developed this um this method of climbing over the years and um i first met arno at foster falls tennessee um there's a climber festival down there he's like hey i'm working on this book and you know would you be interested in in reading the manuscript and i was like oh yeah sure you know that sounds sounds cool i'd love to read it and so he sent a copy and um you know it really spoke to me because one, it was things that I already sort of applied in my own climbing, but I didn't have a methodology for applying it. And so it really intrigued me to learn more about how I could improve upon it. And um, so then when I bought the guide service at the new, I asked, I got in touch with him. I was like, hey, would you be interested in coming up and doing your training, you know, through the guide service? And so that was really was my like selfish way of like getting the getting training. in there. Yeah. Getting in there. Yeah. So, um, we started working together, offering these trainings and, um, you know, it's been, it's been really effective in my climbing and, uh, it's been a great, um, process, you know, it's. And do you think really, like, is it, um, you know, knowing sort of just the outside in, um, you know, viewpoint of it, do you feel like it has a lot, uh, a lot in common with just mindfulness meditation practices? And I mean, is it about just focusing your attention on where you are, you know, in a moment rather than thinking of what future, you know, outcomes might happen? You might fall, you might get hurt, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very much about being uh, present and um, being aware of what ex- of exactly the time that you're in. And not getting lost in the future or sucked down into the past. Um, 
because the you can't control either of those things. You can't control what happened in the past, and to a certain degree, you can't control what happens in the future. Um, but you can control what happens in the moment, which will affect the future. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting philosophical now, but yes, uh, it makes perfect sense. And, and like, do you find that there's like any spillover actually from that, you know, uh, warrior's way training and stuff to to the rest of your life? You know, like it, obviously it's meant to help climbing and very climbing specific situations, but it feels very applicable to a lot of other situations. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a good good approach. You know, if you're you worry too much about what's going to happen or what has happened, it really you know takes away. Um, your quality of life right now. Um, so you really have to you know, be in tune with, with the here and the now and the present moment and focus on things that you can control um, you know, to, to live a happier, more fulfilling life. Yep. Wise words, wise words. <laughs> Easily said. Easily said. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cool. So I've got a few um, kind of, I want to be a bit respectful of your time. I know it's getting late there. You probably need to go to bed before you have to get up at uh, some ungodly hour to take somebody climbing tomorrow morning. Um, so I've got a few kind of quick, uh, quicker questions. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll kind of touch on those. And, and they're sort of quick questions, but uh, don't feel like you've got to have one word answers to them or anything like that. So um What's the most scared that you've ever been on a climb or in the mountains? Hmm. The most scared I've ever been definitely in the mountains. In um, I did an expedition to the Adamans, um, which is a north in the no, northern Selkirks um, in Canada. And I it's my first time in like an alpine environment. Like we put everything that we had wanted to take with us onto a helicopter and that helicopter flew us 30 minutes into the wilderness and dropped us off on a glacier and then it took off and we were all by ourselves we didn't even have a man with us or anything dear god dear god, <laughs> oh, dear god. there i go again um there's a theme yeah, there's was, a theme appearing here elena <laughs> there's a, definitely a theme um but it was cool you know there were no planes flying overhead there were no birds in the sky there were no insects there were no other signs of life um, other than us on this on this glacier and uh you know that was definitely being that far out there was definitely i don't know if i'd say as terrifying but it's definitely like i was aware that um you can't just like pick up your cell phone and call for help if you needed it right so it was it was less a um i guess a, a point release of fear and more just a general like uh nice long warm bath in it right exactly yep. <laughs> cool um i've had more than a few of those experiences <laughs> uh-huh yep <laughs> Cool. And, I, you know, why do you think you're a guide? So obviously, uh, I suppose this is sort of um, perhaps part of the definition, perhaps not actually. But why do you think adventure is important, uh, you know, important to teach, important for kids to learn, important for anybody to really uh, experience on a regular basis? I think it, that's where, where the learning happens. You know, when you're out there having adventure, when you're outside of your comfort zone, um, you, you learn about yourself. Um, and I think that's that's really important for people to discover, you know, to get outside of their little boxes and get out there and be uncomfortable and learn from those stressful, you know, situations and to be able to convert that stress into something that's more comfortable. Um, 
can only help you learn and grow as a human being, which may or may not be the meaning of life. I don't know. (laughs) There's there's another philosophical discussion there to to be had, probably. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've had to sacrifice certain aspects of your life or certain things in your life kind of in service of this, um, you know, in service of climbing in your case? Or do you feel like it's like nothing that you haven't, you know, nothing that you really miss or nothing that you really feel a whole having had to give up? I really, I really don't feel like I've had to sacrifice anything to live the life I'm living. I'm very um, grateful for the opportunities that I've, um, that come my way and I've been able to take advantage of. And um, but yeah, I mean, sacrifice, the only thing I might sacrifice is a, you know, a comfortable retirement, you know, which <laughs> I can't worry about that, you know? Right, right. Well, you can always be so, like Fred Becky uh, and just keep climbing until oh, you're like well into your nineties. Oh man. Oh, Fred. <laughs> He's an amazing individual. <laughs> he sure is. He's man. He's he's hardcore. <laughs> yeah. There's hope for you yet. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. The lottery. Yeah. Well, that's another option. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to get you any closer to a comfortable retirement, probably, though. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably better off with the slots or uh, something in yep. Vegas. Yeah. I'll be rich in life experience. No. And which is probably the more important side to be rich in. Uh, yeah. Let's I be think honest. So. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, you know, like I said, respectful of your time, let you get to bed. Uh, any kind of last minute thoughts or anything you kind of want to say to the listeners, all five or six of them out there? <laughs> Come climb with me in Vegas sometime. <laughs> uh, I will. I don't know about them, but I definitely would uh, take you up on that offer. So if I ever find myself in Vegas for a third time, I'll have to look you up and come out to Red definitely. Rocks and actually experience it. Definitely. And if I ever land in Italy, I'll you know where to come on your door. Yeah. Yep. You know where to come. Uh, it's a nice mm-hmm. area. It's fun. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Elena. And, um, I guess we will, uh, oh, actually one thing I'll ask you before I let you go. Um, is there anywhere, you know, like anywhere you'd send people online to find out about your guiding, find out about chicks with picks, find out about warrior's way, what, are, you know, anything, anything you'd say, there go check it out here. Um, yeah, I have a couple different websites for all my businesses, <laughs> um, but chicks is, um, you know, all the, uh, the women's programming that I do new river um, my website for my guide service at the new, they could also go there. Um, I'm also on social media, so you can track me down and stalk me from afar. You're a baroness, aren't you? Uh, all your businesses and your <laughs> I know <laughs> your enterprises, something like that. Yeah. something like that. Cool. So, like on on social media and stuff, where you know, where should people go and find you? I'm on Facebook, Elena Arends, and on Instagram, Laners Climbs. Cool. And I'll put all that stuff in the show notes so people can come and stalk cool. you. Awesome. Cool. Stalkers. Yeah, they're so fun, aren't they? <laughs> Although I, I don't really get, know that I've ever had any stalkers, so I suppose that's one. Uh, oh, well. Maybe one uh, day. Uh, one of these days. You're many, many fans. Yeah, many, many. Um, cool. All right. Well, listen, Elena, thanks so much. It's been great fun to catch up again. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Hey, everybody. Jeff here again. I just wanted to let you all know that we have finally officially launched on iTunes. So please go and check us out, subscribe to the show. And if you love it, 
do not hesitate to leave us a review. Um, Even if you don't love it, actually, just leave a review. I'd love to see your feedback and hear what you have to say. And as always, you can always check us out online at livesofadventure.com where we've got the podcast episodes, but I also every now and then write a blog post that you might or might not want to read. So do give us a shout. Let me know what you think. And in the meantime, have a great one and we will see you again soon.